This breakout session is a powerful conversation about worship and community, recorded at Davis 10, 2018. So, what a privilege to be here with you guys today. We, we just wanted to have a, few, a space now to have a few different conversations in worship, and particularly hit on what it looks like to worship as a community, and what it looks like to pray as a community, and how we can engage in that more practically as well. So we have some incredible guests for you. We have the beautiful Jonathan and Melissa Helser. Whoop, whoop. We have the wonderful and the amazing Kirby Capel. And we have the magnificent and marvelous Pat and Meg Barrett. Woo. So I'm just going to start off really simply... I would love, to, love you guys just to describe what does community mean to you and, and what does it mean to worship in, in community? You know, I, I feel like worship, finding, finding that corporate space of worship is what we're all about at Davis Tent. So I'd just love to hear how that looks like in your community and how you foster an environment where worship isn't an individual activity, it's a corporate one. So... Let's, let's start with you guys. Just Maybe just set the scene of, of where you're at. Um, what does your community look like and what does worship look like for you guys? Hi, guys. So um, me and Melissa live in North Carolina, uh, right in the heart of the state in a little town called Sophia. Sophia means wisdom, um, which is lovely to live in wisdom. Um, we have one stoplight in Sophia, so it is a very small town. But there, um, about 18 years ago, we started a summer camp around creativity and worship. We did seven summers of a summer camp for high school kids. And that summer camp grew into a school because we really longed to do discipleship like Jesus did around a table, um, around family, and really being together, doing life together. So we started a school uh, 11 years ago, had eight of our favorite campers we invited back to spend um, a summer with us. We were completely terrified and excited and didn't know if it would work, but we really were inspired to do discipleship like Jesus did it, life on life. Uh, and those eight students um, made it through the school, we made it through the school, and we were beautifully ruined to do community and discipleship together. Um, and now we're coming into 11 years of doing the school. Um, we start our first phase school next week, uh, this coming Saturday, and we'll have about 90 staff and students from all over. I think we'll have at least 12 Brits at our school this year. Uh, any of you guys coming to the school? Anybody here coming to the school? Any of you guys been to the school? Okay, that's okay. That's good. Anybody want to come to the school? Yes? Okay. That's good. Okay, I feel better now. Um, yeah, so uh, in that, though, we have about 25 staff. Uh, most of the, a lot of those staff live on the land, so we are doing community uh, really 24-7 throughout the year. Um, and uh, that's a little context of what we are doing. Um, you want to answer the second part of the question? Sure. What was the second part? Uh, worship. How? Wait. What does worship look like? Does worship look like? Yeah, so I think for us... Um, we both grew up in the church and love the church. And I think when we pressed into 
um, more of a discipleship model and more of a co- community-driven model. We actually really wanted to define what worship actually is. And so we wanted to um, get back to the mystery of what it means to commune with God and then to commune with each other. And so I think sometimes um, we swing really hard one way or the other, right? Like, well, I just commune with the Lord, but I don't really like people, which doesn't actually work because that's not what Jesus did. Or I just commune with the Lord at church, but I don't really commune with him on my own. And so for us, we've been just really pursuing that tension and that we experience the glory of God actually more around a table, eating with friends, going the distance to actually know each other um, than even we really do in a, in a corporate setting. And I, so I think for us, we've really pursued putting value on all of it. Does that make sense? Instead of just all this value and energy put into this one expression, um, we've put, we're, we're really asking the Lord for tools to put value into the whole, you know, worship that is confrontation. Worship that looks like the hard conversations that we don't really want to have in relationship, but are absolutely necessary to actually come in and present ourselves to the Lord in a place of worship. Does that make sense? So I think we've, you know, in church culture, it's very easy to get away from what worship actually is, which is communion with the Lord and then communion with each other. Um, so we're doing it on a really grassroots level. It's, it's a very specific thing because we run a school. We are a mission-based thing. Does that make sense? So a lot of people are like, oh, we want to do what you do. We want to get 50 acres and start something out in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, actually, it's really, really hard to do. And if it wasn't for Jonathan's parents that plowed the way, we wouldn't be walking in what we're walking right now. But it's a very specific mission. It's for young adults um, it's for the heart. Does that make sense? So we're just working it out. I think every season we're asking the Lord, keep purifying this place where we, where we encounter and keep recalibrating what we put value on as encounter. Yeah? So good. Well, one of the reasons why I wanted to gather this kind of group together is is we've got like these guys living out in the country and these guys living in the middle of the city so i think um hands up if you heard a little band called house fires Woo. i mean we love that we love the music but we'd love to hear the story of where that comes from and and you know what what is it underneath that and where did it all come out of and what does community look like for you guys um Hey guys, so we're down in Atlanta, which means most beautiful city in the world in Greek. Just kidding. Um, so I, I'm born and raised in Atlanta. Kirby grew up down south. My wife grew up in Atlanta as well. So that city has just always been home for us. And our church community is really, there's a lot of, when we started going to the church, there was 50 college kids. Because there's, there's a couple big universities kind of in our area. And I remember walking through the doors. This, this becomes important because of the, just the texture of our community. I walked in there and really felt like the Lord was moving Meg and I to be a part of this church. And I was like, I do not want to be at a church with 50 college kids. <laughs> I, we we just, just got married. I'm out of college. Like, I appreciate it, but like, 
What about like a child? Like if there's like one child, so you could say you had a children's ministry, we just feel better. <laughs> Does anyone have a baby we can borrow on Sundays? Um, and I just remember hearing the question God asked me was, but can you imagine what it'll be like five years from now? And I just told him, no. <laughs> I cannot. I see 50 college kids. But now, so now we've been at the church eight, eight years. I was a worship pastor for eight years. Kirby is now the worship pastor. And I'm a volunteer. Nine years, sorry. And really, from the beginning, one of the values of our community has always been creativity. And we've always written songs as a part of the church. Um, that's always been a part of the normal. So I'm not saying they were good songs, but they were songs. I would force people to sing because I'm so insecure. Um, and really, so like writing and worship has always been a part of it. Like it, it would always be like, this is what we're going through as a church. We need a song to sing about it. And so we just write. And out of that, there's kind of the natural, like when you're in, in university, like the, you're naturally around certain friend groups. You like have these like little mini families that, Form, depending on your dorm or whatever like that. so we had house churches that met as well so there were two house churches that would meet during the week and then we'd come together on Sunday so we had like the normal Sunday expression and then the house church expression during the week um, so even the, the sound of worship in our community was not always like Sunday band it sounded like a couple acoustic guitars and BYO djembe and times of lingering and being together and meals around a table and conversations. And now, at this point, there's over 70 house churches that meet throughout the week. And we still gather together on Sundays and just do kind of like what you would think of as just Sunday worship times together. But the sound of worship was always... Um, really unpolished and and not not presentable in a way that anyone would really even care to listen to it unless you were actually in the room because the value is different. The value is not a transition between a song or trying to get to the next thing. The value is being together. And when you're with somebody, being with them is enough. Whether you say something or not. Like, man, Meg would be like so frustrated if we went on a date and I just talked the whole time. Y'all pray for her. I'm chatty. <laughs> like, that's not a conversation. And that's not communing, and that's not even being together. So what we, wanted, what we started doing a few years ago is we, were, we had written all these songs that were really important to our community, that had really affected the way we saw God, the way we saw ourselves, the way we saw each other. And we really just asked the question, like, wow, I wonder if anybody else, this would be, I wonder if this would be helpful for anyone else as well. So we just shared in the messy communal house churchy vibe, the songs that had meant a lot to us. And that really was kind of the beginning of it. Not an expectation that anything would happen, but knowing full well that what we were doing was so important to us and it felt healthy. It felt messy, but it felt healthy. It felt unpolished, but it felt healthy. And so for us having worship that had the texture of life to it, like, my life doesn't happen in perfect three-and-a-half-minute auto-tune segments. <laughs> you 
you know? And so worship shouldn't all sound like that either. We should have worship and expression that, ha- that has the humanness to it, the rawness, the pitchiness, the, the imperfection, the spontaneity, the space, like all that, if, if that could be a part of it. So that really was kind of just the beginnings of why we did what we did, so, such a part of our, our home community back home. But I, I, love, I really love what you said, Melissa, because you, it, is, it is worship to God. It's adoration to God, but it, it's being present with each other. And even when you read the epistles, when Paul talks about your love for God, he literally says, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you lie. It's impossible. And it's the reason why you've, you've ever had this experience. Have you ever like met someone that looks you directly in the eye? Eyes, like when you speak to them, they really seem like they're listening. Like, how loved did you feel? It's almost the same feeling that you get. Like, I know I just talked to somebody, and I know like I was grieving and they grieved with me, but I think I just met God in that experience. And so like the, the, the horizontal human connection has always been such a huge important part of worship to the point where it should fail if everybody doesn't participate. Like it should bomb. So that's kind of been one of our values too. Like you bring your meal and your, your dish to the table. And so we try to re- write music and live our lives that way in the, in the city. And believe it or not, 0.2 acres in the city. Beautiful. Um, I'll just add a little bit. So something we love to cultivate in worship is bringing your whole life into the space, like not um, leaving doubt or fear or your situation that might be painful or whatever it may be at the door and coming in, you know, with a clear mind. We want, we, I encourage people every week in our church to bring your whole life. But the thing about community and like house church worship is you bring each other's lives because you, you're in community. You know what's going on. You know um Someone's, ha- someone's child's having a hard time in schools. Maybe someone just lost a, a child unexpectedly and you, you carry each other's burdens. And when you come into these worship spaces with not only yours, but your friends' burdens as well, it really changes the dynamic. It helps. It's like you all carry something together without, without even realizing it. It's, it. it's really, really beautiful. And we love that value so much that our church is actually set up in a circle. <laughs> the stage is in the middle. It's very hard to run sound that way, but we do. So it sounds so terrible, but we don't care. Obviously, clearly, we don't really. <laughs> Unpolished is our goal. Because um, we love to push past the shiny to like unearth the authenticity, you know? Um, we really, really, really value that. And so we, it's worth it for us. The obstacles are worth it so we can be in a circle. So when you're worshiping, you're not staring just at a stage in the middle. Most people see my back, my butt, you know, <laughs> when I'm leading them in worship. And it's because, yeah, we're, it's not like we're in a circle facing outward. We're facing each other in the band and everyone's around us. So if you're on this side of me, you're looking like through the stage at someone else worshiping. So you're seeing their faces. It's, it's really beautiful. And think about the fact that you live in life and community with people like as, as, in an extended family way, knowing what they're going through, knowing the joys, knowing the peaks and the, and the valleys. And you all carry that into the space together, and then you carry it together also. Yeah. Okay. 
so obviously I don't lead worship, so it's looked a little bit different for us. When we moved to the city, it was like right after we got married, we started at Midtown, and um, I changed careers um, because into real estate, which is like helping people find homes. And so for me, it looked like how do we build community in an area? When we moved and bought our house after we got married, we didn't know anyone in that area. And our houses are super close together. So when we would go to sleep at night, we could hear like our neighbors on the porch five feet from us having like a party <laughs> till three in the morning. Um, so for so during that season, um, it was like, you know, helping with hospitality with volunteers at church and then getting to know people and then trying to build community in our area. Um, so a lot of people from Midtown moved into our area. And then also that just developed community um, with just who's on your street, who are your neighbors, building community, like you mentioned, like, you know, when people are having families and someone's going through something, you have instant community because you've developed that there. And then you also have neighbors that are, you know, five feet from your house. And so you have to get to know them, which is really beautiful because our area is not um, traditional South where you have a ton of believers. So that's been really cool just to get to know people with all different backgrounds, no context for um, church or, you know, Christianity, Jesus. Um, so that's been really cool, especially after having kids, just like, what does that look like to do life with other people, have support, build community, and then get to know our neighbors? So that's part of, like, what's been really cool about being in the city. So good. So... Um, you guys are all married, not not to each other, but um, that would be awkward. Um, just love to hear, like, um, also, if you're standing up at the back, there is a little bit of space down here if you want to find a seat, but you might not want to. You're welcome to stand. Um, just just about how how in your communities and in your marriage do you balance that tension of intimacy and inclusion and how how do you build effective walls so that you can like maintain your intimacy with each other but also create a shelter with your marriage so that other people can benefit from that and bless it and just if you got any wisdom on that I mean I'd love to know um you know, I think it I think it actually starts first with me honoring her relationship with Father. Like the intimacy she has with the Lord and knowing uh that marriage isn't meant to meet she's not meant to meet all my emotional needs and I'm not meant to meet all her emotional needs. Um actually I love her from the overflow of my relationship with Father and she loves me from the overflow of relationship with him. I love that in the garden, God, all seven days, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. The only thing that he says is not good is for man to be alone. And that's after him and Adam have spent a significant moment together. We don't know how long Adam and the father spent together. We know it was long enough for Adam to name all the animals. I mean, that had to take a little bit of time, yeah? Um, and there comes this moment where God utters this phrase. And when I read it in the scripture, I can almost feel like I can hear the angels gasping. They're like, what 
he just said something's not good. And he says it's not good for a man to be alone. And he puts Adam into a deep sleep, right? We know this. And he puts Adam into a deep sleep. Now, Adam has spent this, I think, a, a long time. This is before death. This is before sin. He spent these long moments with the father, discovering who his father is. And by discovering who the father is, he's discovering who he is as a son. Um, I think they went on adventures. The father's showing off his creation. He's teaching them who he is. And then he puts them asleep. And I just see Adam like conked out under this tree, just fast asleep. Like God puts you down for a nap, you're down. And he's in such a deep sleep that God's able to reach inside. The same place where the water came from Jesus' side, God reaches in and pulls out a rib. And he fashions a woman. And he fashions Eve. And then Eve and the father have a moment together. Remember, Adam's conked out under this tree, and Eve and the father are together. And I think it was for a long time, because the father just wanted to be with his girl. My kids, I have, I have a son and a daughter, and they love, they call it a daddy date. There's nothing like them getting to go on a date with just me, and brother not being there, or sister not being there. Like, they just get me all to themselves. And Eve has her own daddy date. It's just her and the father. And I think God left Adam asleep for a long time because he knew how in love Adam would be with Eve when he saw her. Because Eve is the masterpiece of God's creation. It's his final crescendo of creation. And he knows like once Adam lays his eyes on Eve, I'm never going to get her back for a while. So I'm getting her all to myself. Okay, so they have this moment. And then the father walks his daughter down the aisle. And as Adam wakes up, remember he wakes up from a full relationship with the father. And Eve is full of her relationship with father. So as they see one another, they love each other from overflow. They love each other from overflow with father. And I really believe that's the key for marriage. It's the key for community. And that, and that we're, we're with each other, but we're also, we have our own place of intimacy with the Father. So when we come to community, we're loving each other from overflow with Him. Does that make sense? Because um, one of the biggest dangers of community is when you look at community to meet all your emotional needs, right? Even if I look at marriage to meet all my needs, I'm going to be really disappointed. Not because she's not amazing, because she wasn't meant to fill all those things. Does that make sense? But it's this beautiful tension because it's also not good for me to be alone. Like, I need this to teach me who I am. She helps me see a part of myself that I couldn't see if I was by myself, right? Remember when Adam sees Eve, he goes, oh, she's bone of my bone, she's flesh of my flesh. Like, he's seeing himself, but he's seeing something completely different. We had this moment when we were falling in love where I remember we were, we were poor ministry school students. We had no money, but we went out to this fancy restaurant one night and we shared like a salad and bread and we were all dressed up and we're just so in love and we're just staring at each other across the table. And I remember, have you ever been so close to someone you can see your reflection in their eyes? I can make all you guys do it right now stare into each other's eyes 
And I remember seeing myself in Melissa's eyes. And we're just like, we're just foolishly in love. I, we were driving our waiter crazy, you know. He's like, are you ready to order? We're like, no. Just looking into each other's soul. But I saw myself in Melissa's eyes. I saw, and I realized that's the moment that Adam had in the garden with the father. He saw himself in the eyes of the father and he saw who he was. And then as he saw Eve in community, he saw who he was and Eve was able to see who she was. Does that make sense? So the way this has worked in our marriage is um, when we were dating, I asked Melissa, like, what's your dream if money wasn't an option? And she's like, you've been thinking about that too long. Like, you need to go first. And I was like, well, my dream would be to, to live on the hills of Ireland with a little cottage overlooking the sea, and our house would be a studio and we would spend our life feasting on love and music. And she's like, where are the people? I'm like, there are no people. It's, it's me and you. And our love will make people. But until then, it's just me and you and God. She's like, oh my gosh, I think this is my version of hell. And I was like, what? okay, well, what's your version? Like, what, what would you do? She was like, we would be in community and we would lead schools and camps and discipleship year round and people would feast at our table. I'm like, I think that's my version of hell. And, and so in that tension, we were like, well, let's get married. We'll work it out here. And you can't make music without tension, right? It takes tension and guitar strings to make music. And in that tension, like, I love my time alone with the Father. She loves her time at the table, and they're both equally as important, right? She has taught me to love people in a way that I would have hidden inside my, I'm an artist and I'm a musician. She's taught me to be a leader that insecurity would have just shut down. And when we got married, Melissa didn't play music. And I've helped, the Jesus inside me really has wooed out the artist and the poet and the musician inside of her, that her just, her initial gift to be an extrovert and to love people, that would have gotten buried, right? So that, that's the beauty of us seeing each other. Marriage is a mirror. Community is a mirror for you to see yourself, to see the places about yourself sometimes you don't want to see, and see the greatness in yourself you couldn't see. Uh, there's several songs, guys, that you would have never heard that I, insecurity would have had me bury. I play them for Melissa, and she's like, babe, that's one of the best songs you've ever written. No Longer Slaves being one of them. <laughs> Did I get credit? No. Did I get part of this royalty? No. So, <laughs> I, I share it all with you. So, um, but yes, that song, Melissa was like, babe, that, and I'm like, it felt so personal to me. It didn't feel, it was just, as part of who I was. She was seeing greatness in me I couldn't see, right? And that's why it's not good for us to be alone. We can't fully see ourselves. And in community, in worship, I think worship is just seeing who God really is. And, and as we, and I'm seeing who God, I'm seeing the image of God in Melissa that's nowhere else in the earth. There's no other painting of God like Melissa. There's no other portrait of God like me. There's no other portrait of God like you. I think that's, this is my last thought. I know I'm rambling here a little. But I, two of the holiest moments of my life have been when my children have been born. How many of you guys have had kiddos? Like those moments, I know it, there's, there's, it's intense. 
my wife became my hero that day. But that moment that they come into the earth and you're holding them for the first time, it's one of the holiest moments in my life. How many of you could feel the angels in the room? Like heaven was just like, oh. I think the angels are in the room because the father doesn't let the angels see the children until they're born. And so when Cadence came into the world, they had never seen that side of God's face. So when my son came into the world, like, oh my gosh, we've never seen that part of God. When you came into the world, that part of God's face had never been seen before. And the angels are just waiting to see it. Like we all are a side of God's face the earth's never seen before. And so in community, we're seeing another side of who he is and being filled with wonder again. State, babe. You're so deep. I just love it. We're all like, wonder. Um, I, I just love to add in that, that I think every season um, comes with it tremendous challenges and balancing marriage, family. I think we could all agree with that. Um, and I think that it's so valuable to actually really go on the journey of knowing your own soul and knowing your own heart and actually knowing what you really need, knowing what your family needs so that you can, with every season, ask those questions. Like, what do we need right now? Like when my kids were little, we needed something very different than, than where they are right now. Like I, I haven't even seen Haven in like three days because she's with all of her friends that she sees once a year. Like, and so she doesn't need what she needed from us you know, at the second David's tent when she was eight years old, she just doesn't need that anymore. What she needs right now is freedom and independence and my trust. Does that make sense? And so I don't have to check in on her heart like I did even last year, the year before. Like, are we good? Do you need family time? Do you need to go on a walk with mom? Are you maxed out? Does that make sense? Because we've really, you know, we have a huge value for just knowing our own soul. And I think that we learn to balance when we learn ourselves. And, and we learn that every season, I, I think we look for formulas, right? Like I think every family's like, can you just give me a formula on how to balance ministry and, and marriage and kids and community and all of it. And I just think that it doesn't exist. And, and having a relationship with the Holy Spirit where you can actually ask every season, what's my family need? Um, it is just really tremendous. Does that make sense? And so, I mean, even when we came, we came here on Sunday, and we decided to do a four-day holiday before David's tent because our families, we've done a lot of ministry this, this summer, and, and we're maxed out on being with everyone. We needed to just be t- the four of us together because it's a quieter rhythm, and we actually needed to refill before we came here, and we're with 6,000 people. Does that make sense? But that's only come from asking the really hard questions. Like, what do you need right now? And asking my kids, like, are you maxed out? Like, I don't know. Can I be maxed out? Oh, yes, you absolutely can be maxed out. Like, are we done? Is your threshold hit? You know, and we've been doing that since they were super, super little. And I think that's helped. We've been asking each other, like, what do we need? Because I could roll like this for a long, long time. Jonathan... He, he gets done way quicker than I do, right? And so we've just had to learn to ask those really beautiful questions and like honor each other's limitations and not shame each other for having limitations, but actually honor those limitations knowing that they actually change with every season.
this moment. Um, would love just to kind of touch on. So, so I feel like community and worship. I mean, worship is such a unifying thing. That's that's one of the hallmarks of David's tent is that we just gather around the worthiness of Jesus and we just go, oh, and get absorbed in who he is. And as we do, we all come together. Um, but I guess the other side of community is is in prayer. Um, and I've just been re- reflecting a bit on how, you know, worship and prayer is a bit like the now and the not yet of the kingdom of as we, as we worship now, God's presence is in the present tense, and we just get swept away with who He is and what He's done. And then, but there's also this tension of we need to pray. We need to pray for breakthrough. We need to pray for those in need and those around us. Um, and we'd just love to hear about how, like those three things—community, worship, and prayer—come together. You know, at at Midtown, and 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 any keys that you have. In, in how do you draw people into a unified prayer as well as a unified song? Really deep question. Who's who's got some some revy? <laughs> so specifically, like. When you say in, into prayer, like, are you ask are you asking like how do you get every, everybody to sing the same thing and then pray unifiedly with all their different lives together, or yeah, yeah, just just how how do you guys do that as as a church as a community? How how do you pray together and yeah, perfect. Um, so one of the frustrating things for people about our church, our church, our community in Atlanta, is that if you want to just show up to something and have everything just completely done for you, you're going to be so, you're going to be so frustrated. <laughs> because the expectation is if you don't participate in it, it may not get done. Like, we, I'm, I'm not kidding. There was not a children's ministry until there was a baby. And we were like, Oh God, there's a baby. Can someone watch this baby? Can someone teach this baby something while we're in here? <laughs> and it really was like out of need that that our community has has grown. And I don't I don't mean need like sometimes it's hard need, but sometimes it's really practical. Like exactly what Melissa was saying. What this season of our life as a as a community was different than ten years ago. So the need is different. And one thing that I've always really encouraged people is don't just serve where you have a want. Serve where there's a need. And when we talk to house church leaders, like Kirby's husband, Rob, is the associate pastor, but he's been pastoring all these house, house church leaders and walking with all these house churches. And one, one of the values is if there's a need in the community, let it be met in that space. So years ago, Meg and I, we had gone through a pretty tragic thing. And the people that were there for us, it wasn't just the church or one pastoral care guy who's on staff. It was our house church. 
who cried with us and sang with us and sang over us and prayed for us. Um, and really, and it really overflowed into all those other times. So you have that that's happening in your normal life, the people you eat dinner with, the people that you call when something's actually wrong. Like, it's not like your church friends versus real friends. It's like those two are kind of like the same thing, kind of. And so what Sunday became for us wasn't a time, I mean, they're not always a time of just like, okay, this is the only time we're going to see each other, so we need to cram everything into this one hour during the day. It really became a time of celebration together because you've already lived life with the people that you're living your normal life with, and you cannot have intimate community with 1,600 people. And if you expect that you will, you disappoint yourself. Because um, you, it's actually easier to hide. It's way easier to hide at David's tent than it is at a coffee with Melissa Helzer. Hello. You didn't mean that. What did you really mean? I hate my father. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love my dad. Um, so that's, that's kind of the value of it. You're not allowed to hide, which is such a human reflex. I mean, that's the first question God asked to Adam was where, or that we hear after the fall was, where are you? And the invitation, all, there's so many metaphors in scripture about feeling and the spirit coming I mean, the book, book of Acts and all that. There's also stories of awakening to a presence that's always been there that we're invited into together. And to have both of those pictures play out, both like in your real life, in your, in your marriage, and also be a part of your friendships. And that carry over into bigger corporate times. Like Kirby and I were talking to someone. We've had the U.S. is loaded right now with racial tension old, inherited, poisonous ways to view people that are latent. And for the first time, it's, om it's almost like whatever, whatever's been bubbling and, and brushed over for years has just exploded. And you finally get to talk about it. And if you don't talk about it, you dishonor the reality of pain and grace that can collide and transform people. So one of the things, I mean, literally, on the micro level in your own life, on the social, political level in the landscape, like how powerful when people that don't have to worship together, worship together and sing the same thing and pray for the same thing. It's not just a prayer to God. It's an act of unity together. So... It, it always plays out differently, but I think the texture of that is, if that wasn't there, we'd be missing out on something. I'll speak a little bit into this. So on the heels of that, and the racial tension in America right now, when there are major events, I think a way that we as worship leaders can cultivate that call to action and prayer is to help provoke compassion in our services you know acknowledge the events that are going on um don't pretend like they're not happening and that this this room is all of a sudden free from any you know thing bad <laughs> happening we're all coming in here with 
all of our things. And, and that includes all the ways we're affected by the things happening, happening in our world. And so like when um, we were talking about this earlier, when the Charleston shooting happened um, in a church in Charleston, South Carolina, um, my husband actually wrote a song that weekend in his grief over it. And we were just kind of singing it, and we actually did it in one of the services on Sunday. And it was really powerful just acknowledging this painful thing that had happened and calling a moment to prayer. But through the gift that you've been given, helping carve a path for people to, to have compassion, you know. Um, okay. It's, I've heard the rumors of a city shining like the sun where every tribe and every tongue around the throne will sing. But I've heard the news today, a broken town, a bitter pain. That city seems so far away, and our song so out of reach. It's a key, key clash right here, but, but then the chorus is just saying, come, come Lord Jesus, come, teach us how to love. Come and make this broken heart new. Come and make your children like you. Um, the second verse, I'm just going to say it. It says, I um, have heard my brother's cries. I have seen tears in my sister's eyes. How long before I realize that their pain is my own? Come, Lord Jesus, come. There will be a day when every knee will bow down, but teach us how to walk in love now. It's talking about heaven. That's what the first verse is. is I've heard the rumors of a city. But that's not what I'm seeing. And so bring people into that, and now they understand it in this holistic way, and they can partner with heaven and what God's doing and their part in it, you know? It's like all of a sudden, oh, all I have to do is look to my left or look to my right, look at my brothers and sisters, see their pain, acknowledge it. That is prayer, you know? That's like us just acknowledging what's here and looking up at the same time together. So. Man. Kobe messes me up, man. <laughs> wow. I guess I I mean one of the one of the things about community is is there's this element of drawing in. I love that image of your church being in a circle and everybody looking inwards. But as there's always always that thing of like everybody who's looking inwards is also looking out the other side. And I just love I love that thing about you know God's heart is full of compassion for the broken and for the for the poor and for the lost. And, what, and this is one of the conversations that I feel like, as David said, we, we want to engage in more in, in the future of, like, what does it look like, you know, worship and justice, you know? What does it look like for, for worship to, to really engage with those around us? You know, I love, there's a little song, um, Build My Life, you know, lead me in your love to those around me. Like, what a great line. Um, yeah, what, what, what a beautiful image of, of how 
you know, as we as we come together into the Father's heart, we become more like Him, and His heart is full of compassion for the broken and for the lost. Um, I mean, that wasn't a question, um, but but yeah, I, I I guess like how how do you how do you foster that sense of compassion? Um, it, in a, in a place of like real need, um, you know, guys who who are coming to your communities and you know they've got real pain and real material needs as well. And and how do you how do you include those guys? And and how do you create a space in worship and community that that they can be free to to be vulnerable and open and and loved without being exposed at the same time? Um, there might not be an easy answer to that. Who wants it? I think it kind of goes on the heels of a little bit of what I was just saying. And um, I think the privilege that we we have is when things happen, social justice issues arise, you can write about it. You can sing about it. I love Stuart Townend says, people leave our services um, singing our songs, not reciting our sermons. <laughs> so people can remember a lyric and a melody so much easier than just a quote because um, it's attached to something. I mean, it just kind of burns in your memory better. And so if you can sing about the issues going on, because going on, it's obviously a song that needs to be sung because the need is so obvious. That's why that song about Charleston that day, people were like, oh, I got to have this now. Give me, send me the voice memo ASAP, you know, or whatever. I had a lot of people ask for it because it's the song that, we need it. It's a song that our city needed, the world needed, especially in the South. So acknowledging it through song and using that is so beautiful. And it is so, that's what I think is so inclusive about songs. And when you write timely things in the moment, you know, that's what spontaneous worship is sometimes. So it breaks through because it's attached to the now in a different way. You can sing about what's going on right now, those social justice issues, anything, and it breaks through the tension that everyone has as the elephant in their room, you know? It's like, oh, someone named it. Now we're together. Now we're unified. Just, just acknowledging it. You want to say? I think ours would be a little different just because we run schools, you know, for young adults. So, they don't really get a choice. Like we run a heart school. So they come to, they come from all over the world and pay a lot of money to be in a safe place to totally open up their heart, you know? And so, and I think for us, we've, yeah, I mean, it's, it's even different. We have a lot of young adults that think they're coming to a ministry school. Even though we are very clear that it's not a ministry school, um, it is a heart school. And we love ministry schools. There's a lot of them all over the world that we love. Um, but but they're, they're actually coming to our farm for a, either a two-month or a six-month period because they want, they're longing for a safe place. And I think whether it's, you know, our, our rhythms are really different because they're just really focused. Um, but I think just creating safe place, like what Kirby's saying, safe place for conversation, safe place for the really hard things, and actually in the moment practicing compassion 
and giving people space to open their heart, you know? Um, but I think we're, I, I have a lot of other thoughts that I don't think I'm going to say. But I, yeah, I'm not going to go down that. Nope. Ask another question. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Well, so, so how do you send your guys out? Do you, do you have any, any kind of pearls of wisdom on that? So you, you bring these guys together, they get radically transformed, set free. What, what do you give them when you send them out? And, and how, how does that look? So for for us again, like we've we're coming into our eleventh school, and um, where it began as an experience, and we wanted them to experience community, experience the Lord. It was extravagance driven, experience driven. It very quickly transformed because we started asking the Lord for sustainability, and 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 as ministry. Um, family, kids, we were really longing for something more than an experience. And we were really longing to see the fruit long-term in marriages and parents and friendships with coworkers. Like we're like, Lord, we're just longing for the real fruit. Like how do we, there's all these ministry schools all over the world. And yet it's like, we're not prepared for life. Like where is the life tools? And for us, um, it just transitioned about our third year into just crying out for sustainability. Like we just, as a team, as we started crying out for the Lord to send people that could give us tools that were sustainable for the longevity of life and to experience the glory of God in the 99% of our life. And, um, and the Lord really sent that. And so I think for us, it's, it's putting value to self-love it's putting value to learning how to do community really well, to do confrontation really well, to do conversation really well. It's amazing to me how many people actually don't even know how to have a good conversation. It's amazing to me how people aren't, I mean, we can go to school for 12 years and you learn, you, think about how many hours you've learned math, science, history, and yet you have probably never taken a class on confrontation. And confrontation is required to live every single day of your life. Whether it's just mediocre confrontation of like, this is the wrong coffee, can you make me the right one at, at Starbucks? Okay, right, which is confrontation. Those who don't care will just be like, hey, you gave me the wrong coffee. Those who are insecure and don't know how to do confrontation will just drink it even though it's not the right coffee. Am I right? And so... So I, I think there's this beautiful play, and we, we're just still discovering it, and all the time, like we, we were talking about tools last night. I won't talk about the tool we were talking about, but it was awesome. But we're just constantly like, man, my, my desire is to equip people for life. So when they come to the farm, to, to our school, just specifically, like we're not, we want them to experience family and belonging, but I want them to leave with a tool belt. And a lot of it is, is preventative medicine, right? It's like, if you learn how to care for your heart right now, in five years, when you're married and you're about to pull your hair out because you can't get through this conflict, you're going you're gonna to be like, oh, wait, Johnny and Mel gave me a tool for this. Like, I, I'm going to practice this right now. And so for us, it's not, it's not even more of a sending out. It's a, like, we want to equip you for the 99%. And I think that's what we've just become really passionate about. Like, I just... 
when I, because we meet with worship teams all over and I love it. And they ask us lots of questions. And, but my number one question is, talk to me about your friendship with Jesus. What does your 99% of your life look like? Are you a kind person? Do you practice kindness? Do you practice compassion? Do you practice vulnerability? Do you practice sitting down and looking people in the eyes? Like people are so weirded out by how much I look people in the eyes, but I, lo- right? I, but I love people, and I, it's a practice of putting dignity to humanity with every single person I meet. Yeah, but that's a discipline and a practice, and so I think for us, like we're just longing for this movement of authenticity in humanity, that we would embrace our own humanity the way Jesus embraced his humanity, and that we would actually begin to live life like Jesus did, which was every range of human emotion, from grief, to joy, to disappointment, to betrayal, to sorrow, to confrontation, to correction. I mean, when you look at one of your dearest friends and say, get behind me, Satan, I mean, you're in a serious situation, right? But there's this powerful, like, there's this powerful dignity that Jesus gave to humanity. And, and I think I, I long for us to return to that place where we honor, we're not actually trying to just fix our humanity, but we honor the beauty of the way we are made in the image of God. And we learn how to actually walk it out in a healthy way, which can look like a million different things. You know what I'm saying? Did I answer your question? So good. Don't you just love these guys? Um, we, we're going to have to wrap up in a minute. And have you guys got any final thoughts? Or any, any final thoughts? Final thoughts? Final thoughts with the... Sorry. I'm sending out. Oh, you go, girl. First thought is I need to go to y'all's school. Second thought is I need to spend two years there. Um, I think what I've really enjoyed about this conversation actually is the expectation that there is not a shortcut. <laughs> There's not a shortcut. And God didn't let Israel take a shortcut. He actually said, if you go into your promise too quickly, the wild beasts will devour you. So he says, I will increase you slowly, is what he said. So like the expectation for that, I think, is a really healthy thing. And being able to on purposely put yourself in a situation where you can grow into the thing that God has called you. Like, I don't think it's going to happen on accident. Like certain plants grow in certain climates. And... Um, and there's a, big get, there's a big difference between a gift and a fruit. Because you can get given a gift, but you have to grow fruit. And just because something's not a seed doesn't mean it can't grow in you over years and years and years to the point where you don't have to be insecure about... Like you can be insecure about a gift because it can get taken away. You didn't even care. I mean, you may love the gift. You may have always wanted the thing, but what happens when you care for something that God is giving you and you prune something and you 
water something, you can neglect it. You can, and it affects the thing that, the seed, the plant, that thing. So I, I just, I love that. There's not an easy answer. It takes a really long time. And Jesus did the same thing. Jesus grew in favor with God and man. Like Jesus grew. I love that thing Jason wrote in Cultivate. God, yeah, God knows what it feels like to be four. God knows what it feels like to be six years old. God knows what it feels like to be a teenager. God does not know what it feels like to be a millennial, probably. <laughs> Just kidding. But I think that God participated in the same process we are in right now and dignified all of it and went to lonely places, confronted people, and decided, if you want patience, you got to grow it, baby. It's a fruit. Peace, patience, goodness, gentleness. Those things are grown. And if you expect God to give you something that he wants to grow in you, we will perpetually disappoint ourselves. Okay, I just want to speak to the discipleship part of this really quick for any leaders in the room when you're leading people and empowering them to do the thing that you, maybe you already do. Um, let's think about King Saul for just a second. He had such an amazing discipleship opportunity with David, knowing that David was anointed next king, didn't take it. So when people started singing the song, David slayed his, or Saul slayed his thousands, but David his ten thousands, he didn't participate in it. In that song, he was jealous, filled with rage. What if King Saul would have led that song? You know, like that is discipleship. So when you cannot be intimidated by the gifts that are growing from the seeds that you've planted all around you and not intimidated by it, but fanning that flame and leading the songs, because hopefully people that we're raising up will go way farther than we ever did. And, and cultivating that celebration where you celebrate people that do the thing that you do also, because it can rub up against our, you know, our humanity, because just, that's just, we're humans, you know? But man, if we can lead that song, Saul slayed his thousands, but David is 10,000s. It's, it's saying, go, 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 farther, farther, farther. It's amazing. And so, yeah. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about David's Tent and how you can get involved, check out davidstent.net.